This is Warburg Radio. On this episode of Warbird Radio, we're diving back into our past. We're bringing back an old friend, Chris Henry. He's now, get this, he's now the museum director up at the Experimental Aircraft Association in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. But when we knew him, he was an air traffic controller up in Elkhart, Indiana, and he hosted a show right here on Warbird Radio that many of you will remember called Warbird Rescue. Joining us now from the mothership up there at EAA, Chris Henry. How you doing, bud? Hey, good. How are you doing? Now you're an author, in addition to uh, museum director, almost called you a curator, but you're so much more than just all of that. Uh, you're also <laughs> uh, you're also sort of a, a, a gumshoe historian, too, which I think is great. And now that you're an author, I guess you're like an official historian. So. <laughs> well... Lucky to get to be uh, to be part of the team here and and uh, get to do some pretty cool adventures. Uh, when you work here, you, you kind of wear all hats in your areas. So, um, yeah, it's uh, um, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I want to get into this because your career started around just a few words. Hey, kid, put your finger in this hole. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And ruin for life, Rob Morelli. Uh, I had, uh, you know, I wanted to be a construction worker. And <laughs> I, I uh, just love I, that light. I wanted to be a construction worker when yeah, I was a kid because yeah. what kid doesn't want to drive big bulldozers and have fun? Yeah, you know, and my family owns a construction company and I'm like, oh, this is great. And, and, uh, you know, um, I, I, when I was a kid, I saw the movie Top Gun and I was like, oh my God, like that was cool. And then a little bit later, my uncle showed me uh, Memphis Bell and I, I was just ruined. I mean, I was ruined on wanting to be involved with historic airplanes. And, um, and what actually happened was uh, they were restoring 909 out at the uh, uh, Beaver County Airport, just north of Pittsburgh. And it was just about near the end of its completion. Uh, and I got to go up and really check it out and uh, asked if I could volunteer. And I was just a kid. I was 12. And thank God, uh, Rob Morelli, Bob Morelli, Claire Paisy, and a couple of those guys, uh, Bob Hudock, they were like, yeah, we'll take this kid on and let him hang around here. And then. Uh, so you show up. Let me just paint this picture because there's a great picture of you that we've got to share at some point. But you show up in your high tops. <laughs> yeah. You've Reebok. got like. And Reebok talks. Yeah. <laughs> You've got your your terrible towel with you, or something, probably from Pittsburgh, yeah. and, and you're just you just show up. And Morelli, who is uh, just a few years older than us, he's there working with his dad, who yeah. uh, who was a B seventeen guy in World yeah. War Two. But you don't know that part of the story yet. No, no, I wouldn't even come to know that for for many years. But uh, um, so there's Rob. He's working on the number three engine of the movie Bell, which was there, uh, getting some work done, and. I don't know what he was doing. I still don't know to this day, but this thing starts spewing oil and um, he's just looking around and he, I'm standing there just kind of looking at the airplane and, and he just goes, Hey kid, come here. And I said, yeah, he goes, put your finger in this hole and, and, and grab it. <laughs> and I'm just plugging a hose, you know, while he's went and get rags and clamps or whatever. And, uh, um, and I got out, I mean, I, I, you know, ruined the shirt I was wearing, uh, uh, you know, and, but it was like, Oh my God, this is, this was amazing. So, um, so yeah, it, <laughs> I love uh, the line. I just love that line though. And you guys have told that story at countless times and I don't think anybody ever believes it, but Hey kid, put your finger in this hole is what started yeah. it all for you with warbirds. Yeah. Let me, let me make sure I clarify that with warbirds. So that's, uh, yeah, exactly. That's great. Exactly. 
And then the rest yeah. is history. I mean, you, your career just really it took off after that. We met when you were working in Elkhart. And uh, yeah, you, exactly. you and Rob Morelli, who are still friends to this day, uh, yeah. started a show rescuing uh, warbirds that needed some attention. A, a lot of them were static. And what you would do is you'd find out, you'd highlight the airplane or the project. And, man, over the years that you guys did that show, you had everyone from Jack Roush to, uh, well, just the average run-of-the-mill museum volunteer that had a heart for this stuff on your show. You know, what, what it was was, um, you know, Rob and I, um, you know, we, we always we kept in touch. We, we lived in different states, and then I became an air traffic controller in Indiana where he was. And we both talked about, you know, there was this, um, there was sort of, a, you know, a negativity on, uh, the airplanes are gate guards and, and I, you know, I get it cause it, that, it, that's not the perfect way to preserve an airplane. Um, and, but when I started digging into it, almost every airplane had this, like these wonderful champions that were doing their best, you know, not all of them, but almost there were a lot of them. Um, and, and by then, gate guard, you mean an airplane that's sort of parked outside. It's on a stick. Yeah, or a it's, a lot yeah. of times on a, and, you know, and and uh, what we were finding is a lot of times some of them didn't have a champion and where some of them had gone wrong was, you know, well-meaning like a VFW or something uh, had requested this plane because uh, somebody of note from that town flew it. And then decades and decades and decades later, they had forgotten about it. The town had forgotten that this person, you know, was part of it. So we. We're like, you know, when able, let's maybe go out and find some volunteers that are dying to get involved in a, in a Warbird project that they're right in their own hometown, you know, could help clean up uh, this aircraft, maybe bring some light to a hometown hero. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, everybody's better. The people got in, can get involved in an airplane. Uh, the airplane gets to at least be, you know, cosmetically uh, into a better condition. And we're shining a light on the, the on the hero, you know, that flew it or the people that built it. Whatever the reason was that this thing ended up in the town, which a lot of times had to do with they were built there or something. Um, and uh, and that was a lot of fun. I mean, it was a, um, you know, it was a, a real sort of like bad news bears approach to uh, uh, trying to fix a uh, an airplane up. But uh, we got a few fixed up. I mean, there you were did. About you did get a few fixed up. And along the way, you discovered a couple of talents that today. Their own careers have just yeah. blown up, like Chad Hill. I mean, for yeah. one, oh, Chad was amazing. We did a C forty seven at Grissom uh, Air Museum. Um, that uh, we did it. Uh, you know, it, it had it had been painted for the anniversary of D Day, uh, and it had been used. I think they used like a latex or house paint, and it all cracked in the sun. And uh, so we we took a lot of time stripping that airplane back to bare aluminum. And then painting it in the markings of Jim House, uh, who flew in the uh, China Burma India Theater as an air commando. And then Chad came out uh, with his dad, and we painted nose art on it. He did the this amazing job in adverse conditions painting nose art. Uh, but we had the airplane remarked as Jim's, and Jim was still with us when we dedicated the airplane. He was still alive. He got to see the airplane dedicated. His family was all there. Matt, you came all the way uh, uh, to help uh, be air boss and cover the event. And um, Laura Stance and Trey Carroll and and uh, um, Nathan Davis, those guys uh, gave us air support and did a flyover. And what was interesting was we saw the Air National Guard wing that's based there kind of become more interested and start to take a role. And, hey, this is our heritage as well, and we should really be taking a little, little bit more of a – 
you know, an interest in it. And then, so they were there, the base commander was there. Uh, um, so we did that. There was another group that did an F4 along the way. We discovered while we were at Grissom, there was a B17 and, you know, it needed help, but really it needed, it needed more help than could be uh, provided there. And it really needed to come inside. And, uh, the wonderful folks down at Warner Robins were able to give it uh, a, the proper restoration and home. Uh, that airplane is just absolutely beautiful now. It looks like it came out of the uh, factory. So, um, and it's inside. I mean, which is the ultimate goal for these aircraft. So, um, yeah, especially lot- the World War II stuff. You know, I and mean, there's you you stop yeah. and think about like a World War II artifact being left outside in the elements. Yeah, and yeah, it- and there are some that still are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, there, and there's a few, no matter where, I mean, yeah, I know for a long, you know, there's places like Arizona where it's a little, not as bad, but at the end of the day, I mean, you know, it, you wouldn't want to leave a civil war ax outside or something. It's time to, to bring it in. And, uh, and we were, you know, we, we were lucky to help at least, uh, be a connection and, and, and really enjoyed hearing some people that got out and through that process, meeting you and then starting our show, uh, the Warbird Rescue Hour, um, was incredible because it, it really working with you and, and doing this show really led me to this sort of unafraid approach to just asking people, um, Hey, you know, do you want to come on this show and just reaching out and not being afraid of, of doing that where there's a lot of people that, you know, they won't do it. They won't, you know, there's just that barrier of this person's going to say no. And again, bad news bears approach where I'm like, what's the worst they can do is just nothing or say no. And the best thing is, uh, they say, yeah. And, and, and a lot of times we really bonded and became friends with a lot of our guests on there. It was really a, a, a phenomenal experience. It was a phenomenal experience and it was, uh, it was great to get to know you and Rob over the years. And, and now look yeah. at where you're at now. You're the, I mean, yeah. you and Claire Paisy, you brought up Claire Paisy, uh, your yeah. mentor in life and so much more. Uh, when the two of you were going up there to the Brown Arch, standing there at Air Venture, would you ever have imagined that someday you'd have a house there and an office? No, no. Um, you know, I, I <laughs> neither my, would Claire. That's my, no, <laughs> so. my first trip up here. Um, I was just telling Matt Yunkin about this uh, the other day. My first trip here, um, Claire literally just called and said, "We you know we're, I grew up in Pittsburgh." And uh, he was like, hey, what are you doing? And I said, nothing. He goes, what are you doing this weekend? And I said, nothing. And he goes, do you want to go to Oshkosh? And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, I I read about Oshkosh. I wanted to come up. Uh, And my parents said I could go. I was 16. And uh, we came up. And it was unreal. My very first thing I saw as we were walking through the gate, he said, you're going to get to see things that you've never seen anywhere else here. And the very first thing that happened after he said that was Matt Yunkin's dad uh, went by doing like a half slow roll on the Twin Beach. And oh, yeah. Bobby Yunkin. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't know a Twin Beach would do that. You know, and then uh, Hoover was still flying at that yeah. time. Um, and then, you know, I remember I walking into the museum, which I always loved the EA Museum. And there's the, uh, the P-38 Marge. And there was Marge, the real Marge, sitting under the wing signing autographs. And I'm like, oh, my God, like this is a, and there's no I always said there were no ropes around the planes or the heroes. And, you know, you could literally walk up to a P-51. I'm a model builder. So you walked up to an airplane and you asked the owner, like, if you could maybe poke your head up in a wheel well to take pictures and stuff. And like they were all good about it. I mean, a lot of times uh, the right owner, the right, right day would 
would be like, well, go ahead and climb up on in it and take a look. You know, I mean, it was, it's a really unique uh, place and uh, I'm really honored to be here. I, I'm thrilled to be the lead of the museum and, uh, uh, and we do some good stuff. I'm really proud of the work that we do here. I think it's great. And of course, uh, you and your, uh, your gumshoe investigative team there at uh, the EAA museum, uh, you and Hal Bryan, uh, who is yeah. a, a wonderful guy, a, a yeah. tiger moth guy. In fact, the he two is. of you, the two of you wrote a book called the final mission. And I, I we're going to talk about the book a little in just a few minutes, but uh, it's a wonderful yeah. book and it's uh it's a, your sort of, uh, I guess your, your, your love letter, if you will, uh, to the men and women who cared for these airplanes in World War II and beyond. And it's just, uh, it's a great, uh, a great thing to have around the house and to uh, sort of dive into. It's filled with a lot of great Chris Henry stories, too, because there's there's people and uh, and paths that have crossed to make this possible. We're going to talk about that here in just a second, but I, I, I've got to just toot your horn a little bit more because I know you're not going to tell this story unless I make you tell it because it's such a wonderful story. You become the director at the museum, and that's great. That's a that's a rather recent uh, thing, isn't it? It is. Yeah. yeah how long How it. long have you been in that seat now, Chris? It hadn't been long. What's that? How long have you had the seat? Because it hadn't been very long. Um. Let's see. It was May, so I started uh, in this position in May. One of your last things as as a guy working there, not the museum director, is you start going through the log books on a Corsair. Uh, yeah. This is Connie Edwards' old Corsair, a West Texas veteran and a yeah. warbird collector and, and lover of old airplanes and aviation. You start going through this logbook, and lo and behold, what do you discover? So um, this is one of, probably one of the only good things in my life that came out of COVID. Um, <laughs> so uh, during COVID, we were like, hey, you know, uh, Charlie Becker on staff here said, we ought to, you know, you guys ought to do a webinar every month because they do webinars on, on welding and riveting and stuff. And he goes, we should really do one on the museum. And um, what we started talking about was, well, you know, that's a great way to, A, keep people involved in the museum, but it also gives us this really great ability to just go and become the experts of every aircraft in this collection. Like we, the museum team, should know everything about it. And then when we record these, we can share them with our volunteers and museum docents. And that way, you know, they can know what is good to say. You know, I, I was really happy that I was able to, I mean, we still do these, able to provide the docents like, hey, guys, watch these. Everything that's in here, you could say about this airplane. And that way we're giving factual information, which is sometimes, uh, you know, a little bit hard with some of our volunteers. Um I think every museum experiences that. Uh, so we have to make sure everybody's given good information. So um, at the time that we were going to start this, Devotion, the movie, was being filmed, which was based off the, the Adam Makos book. And that story tells the story of Tom Hudner, Jesse Brown, uh, and the men of VF-32 on the USS Leyte during Korea. And we're like, you know what, Corsairs are really topical because they're all over Facebook. Why don't we why don't we do the Corsair? Like, that'd be a good one. And I had heard stories that, like, it was on the – the story I had always heard was it was built too late for the war, and then it went to the Bunker Hill, didn't see any combat in, on the Bunker Hill, and then uh, – this was during Korea – and then uh, uh, went became, like, an air racer, and then Connie Edwards got it and gave it to us. So – we started going through it and we found this logbook and the logbook 
dates all the way back to the original acceptance flight in Stratford, Connecticut at the Chance Vought factory. And where uh, Jerry O'Neill waved at it as it, right, exactly. as it took off. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Our good you know, friend, Jerry, if he's listening, hello, Jerry. Jerry. <laughs> I remember sharing pictures with Jerry and Chris Soltis, uh, when this was going on. It's like, guys, look at yeah, this. Look at this. Two of the greatest Corsair fans ever and uh, oh, yeah. big time and, volunteers and directors up there at the museum. Well, they saved, you know, they've saved the Corsair. Right. Right? That was a gate it, guard, nonetheless. It was, but it was a gate guard and, and it's it's absolutely gorgeous. They've done beautiful work on it. Um and uh so you know, I'm flipping through the pages and so far the pages were matching up. It was built by Stratford, uh the Connecticut plant at Chance Vought. Uh end of the war goes almost directly into storage at a blimp hangar down in Georgia. Um, and, you know, comes out for Korea and goes to a Fazron, a replacement depot, Fazron 2. And um, as I'm flipping, I flip the next page, and it just, in the book, it, there's like a stamp that's signed, and it says transferred Fazron 2 to VF-32. Uh, and it's uh, it was picked up by Marty Good. And... Um, I'm like sitting there, I'm like, oh my God, this, this went to VF 32. That's pretty wild. And it, it's, uh, early 1951. So I'm like, okay, well it's after the, the medal of honor, uh, mission that, uh, Tom Hudner, uh, went down to try to save Jesse Brown, uh, on December 4th, 1950. And then it all starts to make sense as we're going through it. And they're like, well, VF 32 only lost two Corsairs in combat. Hmm. Jesse and Tom's, uh, and this airplane was the replacement airplane for one of those two uh, lost. And then on the next page, it, the next pages, it's literally all of the pilot. Like basically, everybody except for Jesse depicted in the book and in the movie uh, flew the airplane. Uh, oh, and we have, we have their names. I mean, so Marty Good, uh, Savoli, Wilkinson, uh, Hudner. Um, these guys all flew the airplane. So what's and going through your mind at this point? You're sitting there at your desk. You're reading this log book. What's going so through your mind? I'm like, this, you know, I, I actually started double checking to make sure this was the right book. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, is this right? You know, so, uh, and, I, you know, I'm a big fan of you can't claim you have Babe Ruth's bat unless yeah. you can go get Babe Ruth's bat. And yeah. um, so we immediately started contacting family members. Uh, thanks to um, uh, John Anderson, a good friend, and then uh, um, uh, Adam Makos himself. And we start, and the whole Makos family, really, and we start putting it all together. And what we did was we basically made um, like three or four way connections. So, like, we would check our book versus the logbook of um, Tom Hudner, uh, Savoli. And all of everything matches up. Like they had the same dates and same bull, uh, bureau number, and it was it. It was it was confirmed. This was our airplane. Our airplane was on the USS Leyte. Um, you have Babe Ruth's bat at this point. I mean, yeah. you just so, holy smokes, now, Chris. In the meantime, there was another part of this, and that the airplane was was very. You have to understand this restoration happened in the eighties, and when the airplane was painted. Uh, it was given, you know, in the eighties, paint jobs weren't necessarily always dead on accurate, but John Hopkins here was very, very, very passionate about this project. And he had the airplane painted really, really accurately. I mean, he used the right lacquer paint, the right color, uh, the chance of used and being that it was the eighties was really interesting because there was a lot of back and forth between him and Paul, uh, 
Paul was actually uh, wanting to paint it as Pappy Boynton's airplane. And John Hopkins was like, there's enough Boynton stuff out there. And also, it would be the wrong version. Ours is a Dash 4. Um, and he says, what about a guy who doesn't get a ton of credit, uh, like Ken Walsh, who was the first Corsair ace, who later flew a Dash 4 on Okinawa? And uh, so Paul said, yeah, go with that. And, and at the time, Ken Walsh was still alive. So the airplane was painted as Ken Walsh's airplane. And, um, you know, all dark blue. It had the kill flags right over the white 13 on the side. And this was John's baby. And now I had to pitch an idea to John and, and to the board here and to Jack that we should spend the funds to completely strip all that paint off repaint the aircraft as it appeared in VF-32, which we knew what it looked like. We actually have two photos of the, or three air photos of the airplane. Um, and, um, and they agreed. They said, yeah, but we're, let's do it right. So John got that blue paint again, that lacquer blue. He actually had it specially made for the, for the project. Um, we contacted working with uh, the Naval Aviation Museum um, and the uh, Marine Corps Museum to make sure that we had the right, um, sort of we really looked at like what jeff duford in the air force museum did yeah. with the bell yeah. as a guide to how to do it right on any airplane um so when you go out and look at our airplane the numbers actually hit the panel lines in the right places it's the right font it's the right everything's right where it should be because we followed the, the natops uh, manuals and photos uh for example our airplane was a replacement airplane and it was 209 was our number, but 209, they must have had a different stencil uh, because the rest of the airplanes had what I would call a, um, it almost fit right on the one cowling piece. It was a smaller number. Ours, for whatever reason, had a bigger number. It actually even went out onto the cow flaps. Um, so we, we went ahead and made sure we spec that out so that it was, it matched the photos of the airplane during that period. Did you use uh, a thread saw at any point we, in, in, in your... It was. It would have been too big. So your, your big monogram Corsair model that you're building, because yeah. that's the level of detail. Uh, it, well, it is. I'm a, I'm a model builder, and I get that the details matter. Yeah. And, well, they tell a story. Know, yeah, and you can really hold hold your head high. Like you know, as little of a story as that is, that our stencils, for whatever, were the bigger, were a bigger size on our cowling. You know, it it also tells a story of like these guys probably had a bunch of planes to stencil and they didn't, you know, they weren't yeah. following ops manuals. They were doing whatever they could out on a carrier deck, probably, or a, a flight line at a Naval air station. And, um, you know, it, it's all part of the story, you know, and, and what I find is if it differs, if the airplane differs from the photos you have of it in the display, you know, a lot of people want to know, like, well, why does that differ? And it's, it's not a great answer if you're like, ah, oh, well, we just didn't get to it right, you know. So, uh, so we're, we're really proud of it. We're really proud that that airplane looks uh, like it did. Uh, All right. The well, hang on a second. We've got to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we're going to tell the rest of the story about, uh, about your Corsair and, and how it actually made a big appearance at AirVenture, too. Uh, Sounds good. Yeah, stay stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back. The world's fastest commercial break right now. Lock and load. This is Woodburn Radio. Tune in. Take off. We're talking to Chris Henry from the EAA Museum in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. He's the museum director. Before we left, we're talking Corsairs, and eventually we'll be talking about his B-17 book in the last few minutes of the show. But, uh, Chris... We got sidetracked, as we often do. Your Corsair, the restoration, you discovered that not only Tom Hudner flew, but pretty much everybody 
in uh, VF32. You decide to roll this thing out at AirVenture. You have family members there from, well, I guess all of the vets, really, that, that touched this machine. Talk to me about this uh, this stunning conclusion here at AirVenture with your Corsair. Well, absolutely. So we don't, this airplane, uh, we did fly it for, for uh, a few years, um, and now the airplane, uh, it hasn't flown, but it's still a, uh, what I would call a, uh, a flat flight status uh, airplane. Uh, so Does that uh, mean it could fly at some point? Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, and so most of the airplanes, we, we take an approach where some of the airplanes um, are donated with the, like, the, the people who give them to us say, we don't want this flown. Uh, for example, I, I think the P-38 is an example of that. Um, however, some were given to us with the idea of we could do whichever. Uh, the Corsair uh, used to fly. It hasn't uh, in many years uh, just because of our air tours operations of the B-17, B-25, the Ford Tri-Motor. Um, can't keep them all going. And plus, we need some stuff for the museum. Uh, so it was decided that, yeah, you know, there's a lot of Corsairs that, that are doing the air show circuit. Let's let's use ours in the museum. Um and it was in an aircraft carrier exhibit that was kind of generic. I mean, it was basically kind of telling you, like, this is what life was like on an aircraft carrier. Um, so while we were redoing the Corsair, we also redid uh, that exhibit to actually talk about VF-32, talk about Korea, talk about Tom and Jesse. Um, However, while going through the airplane, it was time to re-preserve it. Um, and we said, you know, while we're going to be going through this and put hoses and things like that in it, um, you know, we were having a Corsair reunion. We said, well, we, we should fire it up and start it. And uh, so uh, we made that uh, decision that we were going to go and do an engine run with it. Um, and when we gave the signal to start engines, we actually had Jesse Brown's family here wow. uh, the, the woman standing with the fire guard that said start engines was uh, Jesse Brown's great granddaughter who gave the signal to start engines. And so his grandson and great uh, granddaughters and great grandson were here. Uh, we've had Tom Hudner, uh, the third here in the cockpit, um, you know, so and we've actually, they are the ones that cut the ribbon for the exhibit. And we dedicated the plane. Uh, we also had Marty Good's uh, granddaughter here or daughter here. And uh, uh, so it's been really, really incredible. We've had, uh, uh, Jesse Brown's flight instructor, who, you know, didn't really get portrayed correctly in the movie. His flight instructor, they were good friends right up until when Jesse passed. Um, and as a matter of fact, his flight instructor uh, was so affected by Jesse's loss that he transferred from fighters to rescue helicopters and flew the rest of his time as a rescue helicopter pilot, uh, as a uh, memorial to Jesse. So, um, you know, it was amazing to have those families together. Um, and now the, you can come see the airplane and you learn about Korea, which is something that isn't really being taught a ton. Uh, I always tell everybody if it wasn't for MASH, I think a lot of people would, would maybe not remember Korea. So, mm. well, they call um, it the forgotten war for a reason, right? I mean, yeah, so. absolutely. So, so yeah, that was, it was a real honor. I mean, that's, a, that's a career highlight, uh, to get the work on that. You know, we added a Huey to the museum so we can talk about Vietnam. Um, it's a well, real three tour. We need another episode because I'm telling you, the, the <laughs> Huey it just went. I mean, you restored it down to the beer cans that they had and the yes. rocket tubes. I mean, just all types of uh, level of detail there with uh, with having you on board up there at EAA. And I, I, you know, I think the folks who come through the museum can see a difference. I know I certainly can, and that's uh, that's just a testament to to the work that you're doing up there. And it's uh, it's great work. I am still, you know, and I've been very vocal about this. 
Uh, I am still of the opinion that we need Jerry's one-man band in the museum. <laughs> I know, I know. That, and I, uh, you know, I want to be there for the ribbon cutting because I think we, I probably have all of Jerry's tapes somewhere. I really do. That, I, would, that was always a highlight going up there. And um, that, uh, Yeah, I remember. You had I mean, something would... to do, by the way, with that plaque that's sitting there on the pole now, naming that uh, Jerry's Corner. Remember that's that? right. Yeah. We brought him up on stage there at Theater in the Woods. and uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the we got that uh, put out there. So I'm telling you, Chris Henry, a guy, a force of good up there in Wisconsin. <laughs> Let's talk about this oh, book because your book, uh, your book is filled with these kinds of stories. And I just wanted folks to hear this from you because I think, uh, I think this is so much of who you are. You, you get a good story in your, in your gut there and you don't let it go. And it's, it's just wonderful because now you've got a whole book on this kind of stuff. When you were palling around there and, and sort of coordinating the, the B-17 flight experience is part of, of your, your journey there at EAA, you'd hear all these stories. You'd hear stories about why people were booking a flight. Maybe it was a, a wife who had lost a husband uh, in the war and never remarried and held on to that. And just this is a true story, by the way, just wanted to experience what her late husband went through. All of these stories are now in this book. And it's called The Final Mission. You can get it right there at EAA's website. But this is such a wonderful, wonderful book to have in any aviation collection. Chris, I, I applaud you for your work on it. Well, thank you. It, it was really, um, really an honor to get to do it. And, uh, and when I started down the journey, I, I had no idea that's what was going to happen. Um, you know, I started uh, here in our membership services department, uh, and the front line of that is people booking their B-17 uh, and four trimotor flights and, and now B-25 flights. And, you know, I um, th- I would simply start asking, you know, just while we were talking, because it would when I took people's information and you ran their credit card to book their seat, it would take, you know, a couple seconds. So there was this awkward sort of silence, you know, while you're waiting for everything to process. So I would just strike up a conversation and uh, I'd ask, you know, what, um, you know, it, it, it's not a small chunk of change to go fly on, on a on a bomber. So there's there's got to be some interest there. What's what, what's worth it for you? What, what are you doing? And a lot of times, you know, sometimes it was someone who just was a bucket list item. They wanted to go do it. And, and that's totally respectable. I love that. Um, and then there were people that were sharing that like, well, you know, my dad's still with us and. And uh, he was a B-17, you know, bombardier, and we want to get him one more ride. Or, you know, my grandfather's not with us, and I don't really know much about him, but I know he was in a B-17, and I want to go sit where he sat. And, you know, to me, that was incredible. And then I started just asking, do you know, what do you know about them? And a lot of times, you know, they didn't know a ton. Uh, They'd have his name and maybe a bomb group, and that was about it. But thanks to these wonderful bomb group associations, you know, they keep really great records. And I was able to find pictures of these guys and their crew up by the nose, like that classic photo uh, of the guys up by the nose of the airplane. And you could see the name on the nose and stuff. And I would share that with these people. And a lot of times it was um, a photo they'd never seen. They were seeing their grandfather, um, you know, in a way that they had never seen him before. Uh, And that was really, really rewarding. And then when the veterans were still with us, uh, on those flights, um, those guys were just tickled to come and share stories and photos and, and, and they would bring their scrapbooks or photo albums and tell these stories that, 
you knew were coming from the heart or that they had, they had packed away for years and he just needed to download them. Um, and I really think there was an avenue of, of healing or closure. You know, they were out at the airplane one more time with people who spoke the language, um, and, uh, and, and it mattered to them. And I think it mattered to them to see, you know, there's a lot of younger people that are around our V-17, you know, working on it and, and out seeing it. And I think it mattered to them to see that there were people that want to hear their stories, you know, that their, that their service still matters to these, these young folks. So um, it was really cool. It was a really, really uh, amazing experience. So I just started, I didn't know what to do with all this. So I just started posting on Facebook um, stories of like, here's who's out at the airplane today and here's who flew with us. And here's a really amazing story they told because no matter if it's a B-17 or a T-6 or, you know, a Stearman or an Elbert or whatever, um, you know, everybody that owns and operates these airplanes knows that you fly in somewhere and you see a veteran that comes out. And they tell that story that a lot of times you're sitting there like, wow, I wish I would have recorded that. You know, that was that was really cool. And it's, it's the reason you do it. It's because, you know, you're, you're preserving a legacy for these folks. So I had the time that I could, you know, write it down and it wasn't always, you know, the whole story. I would just take whatever I could, you know, and, um, make it happen. Well, and you did, you did make it happen. Look, I know we are way, way over time, but I want people to buy this book and I want them to, I want you to come back on the show and we're, we're so far over the time limit. It's not even funny on what I told you this was going to take and what the show normally is. All right. For you, anything. But look, look, give them, give them how they, it's EAA.org and you you search for the final mission in the last uh, 30 seconds. I think you can do this. You got to just give them the quick notes on the the gentleman who was at the prison camp because this is yes. this is just unreal it's in the book you've got to go read it it's again the final mission available at eaa.org the link by the way is in the blog article we wrote about chris's show uh, appearance so it's already up there you just click on it and then you order it and chris and hal will let will sign it for you if you they ever will. if you ever uh, see them in person at eaa <laughs> i guarantee it they won't charge you a nickel well, oh, ab- maybe ab- they will, but you know it won't be much. So, <laughs> no, but tell tell them real quick in the last few seconds here, Chris. So uh, briefly, I'll, I'll 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 tell you that the, the one of the most powerful stories was uh, a woman who wanted to buy a ride for her husband, and it was a bucket list item. And when I asked her if he was a veteran, she said, "No, he was too young to to fight in the war. He was in a concentration camp. He was a young uh, man of Jewish descent who has, was in a concentration camp." He had accepted that this is where his fate was going to be, and then the camp got liberated, and there was a B-17 crew that made two trips uh, dropping food into the prison camp. The same day? Same day. Same B-17 crew. They did two trips, dropped food. Uh, the airplane was called Pandemonium Rains, and um, it was. we got them all set up for the flight. And then a couple days later, before the flight, you know, we had to set up about a week in advance. This gentleman was losing a battle with cancer, so it was a bucket list item for him. A few days before his flight, same town, another gentleman pops up and says, my dad flew pandemonium rains, uh, and he's still with us. And, um, you know, I wanted to get him a ride on the airplane. He won't talk about his missions, but he will tell me about the time that he dropped food into a concentration camp. And you go, oh, my goodness, at this point, here you go again. Babe Ruth's bat shows up. Right, exactly. I mean, you could not plan that. So we got them to fly together on the airplane. And uh, uh, just um, 
you know, I, I, or these airplanes have this, this sort of magic around them. And I know that that maybe sounds cheesy, but uh, I, I can't explain that any other way than, than something no. like that. It's absolutely the truth. These airplanes do have magic, and I love that you always say that, and I think it's wonderful. Chris Henry, cool. man, thanks for coming on the show again. Great hey, to- absolutely. Great to, be, great to be on with you, Matt. Sounds, it feels like old times. Well, hey, look, go buy the book. Again, The Final Mission by Chris Henry and fellow Warbird enthusiast, Tiger Moth pilot Hal Bryan up there at EAA. Two great guys and a wonderful, wonderful book. Chris, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll talk soon. Folks, if you enjoyed the show, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe Warbird Radio uh, to Warbird Radio. And uh, we look forward to having you back here on our next episode real soon. So just follow the podcast feed, and uh, we'll be starting Safety Month coming up here in March, where we're rolling all the airplanes out, getting ready to fly them again in the spring here in the U.S. want to keep you safe in doing that. We'll have some maintenance experts, bailout experts, all kind of stuff that we'll be pulling not only from the archive, but bringing in new as well. Thanks again for being here. So long for now, everybody. Reminding you that radial engines don't leak oil. They just mark their territory. This is Warford Radio. Tune in. Take off.